Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here. In our weekly episode and journey, I think journey is the best way to express it. I personally feel that all these years that I've been teaching this weekly class, not a class which somewhat sounds like a classification in a box, but rather a journey. It's been a journey for me, hopefully a journey for you, for all those that have participated over these years because it's really been a ripple effect. It's Everybody participating was a friend to a friend to a friend to a friend. It's a great honor. So today we'll be speaking about how to fi- find your personality type. How to find your personality type. But we be- must begin with a very important introduction. As soon as you hear personality types, we have personality tests, different characters. We always like to find out what we're like. But there's one key thing missing that needs to be addressed before we try to find out what our personality is. And that is what our personality is not. What do I mean by that? I often cite this example. When someone is asked, who are you? Most people give you their business card. But that's not who you are. That's what you do. But we easily confuse who we are with what we do. Because we're so occupied, so consumed, time-wise, energy-wise, in what we do, that often what we do becomes who we are. Our jobs, our different responsibilities, expectations of others. Now, it gets more complicated than that. The fact is none of us are born adults. We're all born as children. And children are impressionable, vulnerable, and trusting all beautiful qualities when they're were, when entrusted into the right hands. So our parents are the first exposure that every child um, is exposed to. So being impressionable, we pick up their attitudes. And then we pick up attitudes from our peers, our friends, early friends, from our school, from our educators. And then there's the social influences and the cultural influence and religious influences. All the different types of influence that exist impact us. And as one of the beautiful analogies is that as children, we're like warm balls of wax, where every impression made in that warm wax hardens as the wax hardens into an adult. So by the time we are conscious enough and aware of ourselves and our identities, We've already been shaped by so many forces, for good or for bad. So when someone says, who are you? What kind of personality are you? Besides having to contend with the fact that we are now also busy at work, as I said, what we do often replaces who we are, or defines who we are, I should say. There's additional components that long before we were doing things, we were being shaped by forces and influences around us. So then when you ask yourself the question, who am I? Can you distinguish between what you do and who you are? Can you distinguish between the attitudes and forces that projected themselves on us? And who your real personality is? Did your real true personality ever emerge yet? What does your voice have to say? What is your opinion? Or are we really parroting the opinions of our parents, of others, 
of our programming, how we've been culturally programmed, how we've been indoctrinated. Now, it could be a combination. But without asking these questions, it's very difficult to just step back and say, oh, or clean slate, let's begin, find out what my personality is like. That doesn't mean you can't find out, but I think it's critical to first address this so-called fog, this, um, these prejudices, these biases and subjectivity that cloud our ability to truly objectively identify our pristine, pure, inherent personalities. That's why it's vital to begin there. Because once you're aware, you can then say, okay, let me take that into account and try to identify my personality as is separated from my parents, from my peers, from society, from the different various influences and the demands and expectations and jobs and the things we do. And if you're able to separate those two, it's a great beginning. And then we can address the personality. So besides addressing the personality, you also want to have the courage to embrace that personality. And we'll address that a little later down. First, we need to talk about those personalities. So there we have it. We have the projected self, the one we're aware of, and you have your true self, the one that you may be partially aware of or partially or almost entirely not aware of. And these factors have to be considered because they do impact us and therefore can distort and so on. Take an extreme example, a child growing up in a home that is nurtured, validated, supported, given confidence, so the child learns to embrace its personality and learns to act on it and learns to have the courage and the confidence to to actualize it. By contrast, God forbid, someone born in a home with criticism, constantly criticized, invalidated, your opinion is not allowed to be heard. The only opinion that matters are your parents, father, mother. You're undermined. You begin to second-guess yourself. So what happens to your personality? It goes undercover. It goes into hiding. Because you don't feel you're entitled or have a right to express it. Let alone to, even, to express it. Well, I was going to say to experience it, let alone to express it. Now, of course, there are very variation, many variations from one extreme to the next, but it's, you mentioned, we mention extremes in order to make the drive the point home. That if it's indeed in that point where a person literally has that fear and constant second-guessing themselves with a lack of a self-esteem due to this invalidation that I'm describing, which unfortunately is more common than not, well, I wouldn't say more common than not, but more common than we may think it is, that demonstrates how, so how difficult it is, not just to identify your personality, but to embrace it. Because you almost feel like guilty. You almost feel like you're not entitled to. You don't have the right to be the real you. So clarity is always the blessing. We need to know. Half, as they say, you did, no, awareness of the problem is half the cure. If you don't have awareness, then everything I mentioned until now just becomes one confusing snowball effect where you can't define, what, um, what, where are my strengths? What am I independent of those around me? Have I ever really found the boundaries of my own voice, even if I love my parents and I love my peers and love my influences, but knowing who, where I am, where I begin, where they end? All these boundary issues and so many other factors 
don't allow us to proceed. So then what happens is, with all good intentions, you embark on a journey, on a journey to find yourself, but you have so many other voices telling you, this is you. No, that's not you. And you may even find out at some point that the things that your greatest strengths are, you were told, that's not you, you shouldn't be doing that. I've seen this time and again. I've seen tyrants of fathers, unfortunately, who probably had their own tyrant of a father, insecure to the core, but playing this bravado, macho leadership, but basically squashing, suffocating any other, uh, other approach because they have to always reign supreme. And educating and training their wives and the mothers and the children, this is God. So you can imagine children trembling before God, quote-unquote, a person who's totally, completely flawed, completely, seriously flawed, projecting as if that is perfection itself. You know what that does to a mind of a child? An impressionable child, a loving child, a vulnerable child, a trusting child, and especially the hero, the parent. It's hard to even quantify and to document the, the distortions It's bad enough to be conned by an adult to an adult. But a child, this becomes embedded and it's sometimes a lifetime of work to undo that type of damaging projections. But all is not lost and there's always hope. You know why? Because your soul preceded your parents. Your soul preceded your life experiences. Your soul precedes your circumstances. And as such, there's a part of the soul that was never touched by any of these negative experiences. So when you access that, and you can access it at any stage in your life, you then can also access the unique personality that comes with your unique soul. So that leads me now into, let's talk, even though there's deserves a lot more discussion about the negatives and how to get rid and dispel and get rid of the distortions, but I think I've said enough, and I hope you can work with that, because it's a critical component, because if you don't get rid of those distorted perceptions, distorted IDs or distorted um, sense of self, then anything new that is shared will probably barely make it through into your psyche because you still have those preconceived notions and preconceived attitudes. So with stats being stated, let us now talk about the positive side of things. So it begins with, yes, uniqueness. That every soul, meaning every psyche, every human being, you and I and every person that you on this earth has a unique personality. Let me explain what unique means. Unique doesn't mean that we don't have overlapping elements. Unique is not 100% unique, just like we know with DNA and genes. All you need is one strand to be unique. In many ways, we're also, we all have two, a healthy person has two ears, a nose, a mouth, the limbs and organs, yet there are small variations, both in the phys- physical, physiological elements and definitely in the psychological, emotional, and, phys- and spiritual. We usually break it into cognitive, emotional, and spiritual elements of our unique souls. Why do we have a unique soul? Why are there no two exactly clones? Because you don't need two of the same. Since life has purpose, and this is, discussion is predicated on that axiom. And design, purpose and design dictates that you don't need two of one. Unless there's a purpose for it. 
And then if there is, then the second one has a unique purpose, even if it has some similar elements to the first element, to the first entity. So design, purpose, dictates uniqueness. That there's nothing in this universe that is extra. In the words of Mozart, to the Archduke, who thought he was a connoisseur of music, and, said, and, Mozart said, and he said to Mozart, beautiful music, beautiful mu- music. And Mozart says, anything that you'd like to comment? He says, yes, yes. Too many notes, far too many notes. To which Mozart purportedly, incredulously responds, yes, your highness, but not one more than necessary. Which ones do you want me to cut? So it's like someone coming into a mansion, a beautiful structure built by a brilliant architect. Decides, you know what, this room is extra. First find out why it was made. It has purpose. Look at the human body. Every cell, every component has purpose. So purpose is uniqueness. You have a heart, you have a mind. They don't do the same function. They may have overlapping functions. They coordinate with each other. One one harmonious synchronicity. But each has its unique role, unique place. The same thing with the human race. Each one of us has a unique imprint. Unique DNA, physical DNA, and spiritual DNA, and psychological, and emotional, and cognitive. All unique to fulfill our unique role in refining this world and making it a better place. Introducing transcendence in the selfishness of a materialistic world. So that uniqueness dictates something exclusive, something indispensable, something special. And every child is born with that. However, here's what happens. As I stated earlier, two things can happen. That part of us, that uniqueness can be nurtured, can be reinforced, can be validated, just like a flower, watered, cultivated, pruned, focused, That's called good education. Then that individual grows, and as they grow, they become stronger, more confident in actualizing that uniqueness, which allows them then in turn to fulfill their purpose in life. The other side is also true, unfortunately. If left unwatered, unnurtured, or even worse, abused, demoralized, undermined, criticized, and all the other synonyms you can come up with, then all that uniqueness does not disappear, but it retreats. It recedes in the background. And what emerges is a personality that whoever is distorting through their projections, they're creating a false personality. I can't say it's entirely false, but it's one to please, to make sure that the, the adults or the others that are pressuring you are happy, to replicate them, to validate them, to make them feel that they're always right. And what happens with your uniqueness, it recedes in the background. goes undercover, underground. But it does not disappear because souls don't disappear. It's waiting to be released. In many ways, it protects itself from further critique by saying, you know what, I'm not going to express myself. That's the wisdom of it. But as we grow older, we now have the fear of expressing it because we don't know what will happen. How criticized are we going to be? How will we be mocked? Will we be laughed at? And that's where the work comes to be able to re-embrace 
re-embrace that which you always, was your, always your legacy and your unique calling and your unique voice. So, as I said, we need to address the murky waters that cloud and often conceal that true personality. But then let us also talk about the side of the personality itself. What and how do you define your uniqueness? So there are many ways to do this. You find today there are personality tests, some better than others. You have different types of analysis, how to quantify a person. There's the number systems answering different questions and therefore and thus so-called exposing or identifying strengths, weaknesses, inclinations, predispositions. And that there's no question, some of them are very helpful to actually identify what we are made of, what makes us tick, and how unique we are. Sometimes in our jobs, I say sometimes because most people, statistics show, have jobs that they don't even like, that don't express who they really are. But there was no choice, they need to make a living. They sometimes even have degrees and are really good at one thing, but there was no opportunity. So they took the job, they came their way. Some really hate their jobs. Some have learned to like it. And the rare few actually have a work or a job that reflects to some extent, maybe to a complete extent, who they are. What they do is an actual expression of who they are. A labor of love. For those that don't have that, that doesn't mean we don't at all experience it. Sometimes it's through hobbies, through travel, through tangential things, through weekends. We find sometimes expressions that speak to us. But that can also be very much programmed and indoctrination. We learn, for example, you know, your father takes you to a ball game, you get a hot dog and a Coke, and that becomes part of your culture. You almost can't do it without a hot dog and a Coke. Is that your real personality? No. That is what you grew up with. And I'm not even saying it's always destructive. It can be neutral. It can be innocuous. But it's not definitely not with your own choice. So some of these things are, are uh, harmless. But some are very harmful. All of them don't help you express who you are. So to get to the personalities themselves... I'm going to use in this, this program one particular model of 12 archetypes. And I'll tell you where I take it from. Even though, generally speaking, I like to speak in universal terms. Uh, frankly, I always like to speak in universal terms. But, as I often mention, I feel like often like a bridge between the 4,000 years, almost 4,000 years of biblical Kabbalistic tradition and the secular world in which we live. Call it a bridge between the secular and the spiritual and the secular. So actually, in the Torah readings that we read, the 52 weeks of the year corresponding to that, or 52 chapters, the last chapter in the book of Genesis describes 12 personality archetypes, 12 archetypes. And these, of course, are personified by the 12 tribes. Now really, one tribe, Joseph, breaks into two, his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So you really have 13. But it's 12 general ones, with the 12th having two components, to it, as we shall discuss. So I'm going to do this in a brief way and refer you, actually this week, you may be aware of this, but in the last months we've begun to create a theme of the week 
So this week it's personality types, archetypes. So what we do is each week we um, send out three types of content. One is a short video, like a two-minute video that goes out on Mondays. On Wednesday, on Wednesday I do this master class, we call it, a more in-depth discussion of the theme of the week. And on Thursdays, tomorrow, we send out a soul workout, which is somewhat of a shorter text. Think of it more like a workshop. I wouldn't call it a workshop, more of exercises, short bullet points on the topic at hand. So the one we'll be sending tomorrow is, has the 12 spelled out. So all you have to do is go to our website, MeaningfulLife.com, and subscribe. And you'll receive tomorrow's, uh, tomorrow's email. And, of course, every week, if you wish. But tomorrow's will have the 12 that I'm going to spell out now. Okay. So these are 12 personality types. We call it sometimes the original 12-type biblical personality test. Now, though each one of them is unique, at the same time, there's overlap. We may have more than one, or especially in different stages in life, focus is on different ones. So this is tremendously helpful because it defines 12 different types. And be interesting, and I would suggest if you have a pen and paper, to sit down and, as I say, these archetypes, or as you read them tomorrow, to mark which ones would you say from 1 to 10 fits you. So 10 being, that's exactly me. 1 being, that's barely me. 5 is, I have components of that. So in a 1 to 10, try to mark yourself, and you'll find that some of them, more than one may fit, but then it would be interesting to combine the ones that get the highest marks, let's say the 5 and up, and see, then compare them, and that itself, see which one you're strongest. This is a great template to help us identify the actual archetype we are. Now, of course, it's a great qualification. You'll say, since you're clouded and subjected by forces and influences that your parents may have imposed on you and may have even transformed or changed the way you think of yourself, maybe you're marking something that's not really you, but it's something that comes from them. It's possible. But nevertheless, I still think you should mark it because then I will talk about a little later ways to distinguish, is this something that is innate and inherent? Nature or nurture? Is it due to who you are, or do something you've picked up. Sometimes it's difficult to identify, but there are methods. But the first step is, is beginning by first identifying what these personality types are. So let's go through them. We're going to start from the top. This is an order, as the Bible puts it, in the order of the 12 tribes. So we have the story how they're born. In this week's chapter, we talk about Jacob, Jacob, their father, before he passes away, blesses each one of them. And in his blessings, he identifies their unique personalities, the unique archetype. Being a father, he understood who they, each one they are, and it's also hinted too often in their name. So I'm not going to go through an elaboration of how each one indicates that. I'll just talk about the actual archetypes. Okay? <clears throat> so the first tribe is Reuben, the firstborn. So I called each one, I gave each one a title. Reuben, the firstborn. You'll see each one has a personality name, the firstborn. What does firstborn indicate? That represents the powerful energy of beginnings. Firstborn. It's not only in birth, but of everything that comes first in our lives. The first step, your first love, your first experience, 
of any particular area in life. The first fruit, the first moments of the day, it's the beginning of every creation, the beginning of a business, the beginning of a concept, has enormous amount of energy. And this is what Jacob says to him, unstable like water, this power can go either way. If harnessed properly, the firstborn's energy can change worlds, because it's very intense and powerful. It's like when you get up in the morning, you have all the energy. If abused, it can destroy. Like water, it can be a source of life. Water is the source of so much life. Vegetation, things that give us sustenance, provides us with sustenance. But if left unchecked or unchanneled, water can erode its environment and flood its surroundings. So that's personality type one, firstborn, that type of, you may be a firstborn child, or you may have that type of first energy being, for whatever reason, if you feel that, identify with that, that's number one. Shimon, second tribe, aggressive discipline is his personality type. The antithesis of the firstborn water. The fierce anger and cruel wrath that can result from unbridled discipline. So think of it in the terms, if you may be familiar with I speak about this in the seven weeks of the Omer counting. Chesed compared to water, love, kindness, flow. Gvura, Shimon, is like fire, discipline. So it can, it can be, on one end, it can be angry, cruel wrath, or it can result from unbridled discipline. That must be eliminated, lest it turn into weapons of violence, as we saw with Shimon's life. He was very aggressive. It could be used for the positive, it could be used for the negative. And when it's that intense, when a person has that type of aggressiveness, aggression, an aggressive person, a disciplinarian, a person who's very measured, that can turn into weapons that consume the person and all those he comes in contact with. So that's a very different type of personality. Okay. It's a fire personality opposed to a water personality. Firstborn. Number three, Levi. The word Levi comes from the word joining together. Connecting. So he's the joiner, the joiner. The personality of dedicating your life to serving a higher calling. Because that's what you're joining. You're joining your life here to something higher. And that's why Levi was blessed with service to serve in the temple. The Kohanim, the priests, and the Levites come from the tribe of Levi. The personality of dedicating your life to serving a higher calling of freeing yourself from the bonds of material survival and attaching yourself to a higher cause. That's Levi. Number four, Judah, the selfless leader. The path of the leader is the path of selflessness and acknowledgement. That's what the word Judah, Yehuda means, to acknowledge, moda'ani, I acknowledge. Modim, sometimes I yield. The most vital ingredient in true leadership. Now this is interesting. Many people think leadership requires aggression. Leadership requires dominance, ambition. But the true, true leadership, leadership by example, leadership that inspires others, is a deep humility. That's not about you. And that's what Judah is, the true leader, the selfless leader. For, next, number five. Dan, Dan, the judge, the steward of law and order. Objective justice is the heart of any civilization. Now, 
That's why the word dan comes from the word dayon, which is a judge, or din, judgment, or, or, or law and order. Shimon, even though I said it's gvura, it's aggression, but it's more the aggressive person. It happens also to be aggression is part of being a disciplinarian. But a judge is, is a different thing altogether. A judge is really actually a steward. He stands above his personal prejudices, stands in judgment, is able to discern in an objective way what is right and what is wrong. Okay, some people, personality fits that. Next, number six. I'll make sure I have the numbers. Naftali, the free spirit. Like a deer running free. Naftali is compared to a deer running free. Breaking out of the status quo. Independence is a necessary component in growth. I spoke before about finding your voice, independence, individuality. Yet this free spiritedness must always take care to deliver, quote unquote, words of beauty. So that's what Jacob says. It's like a deer running free to deliver words of beauty. Because free-spiritedness can also become very selfish. And you want it to be focused. You want it to serve. In this case, to deliver words of beauty. A, a dare that's running swiftly to deliver words of beauty. Next, that's the free spirit. Number seven. God. God. The warrior. <clears throat> the warrior. Expanding on the justice of the judge. Because God and done are like have some have, have like uh, relate to each other expanding on the justice of the judge the warrior is ready to fight for his beliefs so a judge rules but then you need the law enforcer so to speak the one that fights for those beliefs that enforces it the warrior is necessary to both defend our cherished values and to protect our freedoms okay the warrior next eight Asher, the abundant one. I'm just numbering them. Good. Asher, the word itself, <coughs> in Hebrew, refers to prosperity, abundance. Characterized by prosperity and pleasure, of blessing beyond the norm. Because when you say prosperity... It's more than just what you need. It's beyond the norm. It's abundance. To be given more than what is necessary for survival. So Usher represents that element of either wealth or the abundance. It could be the gifts we have, whether it's in intelligence or in money or in other ways. He is the personality of not just getting what you need, but also enjoying it. So it's not just necessity, but also having a matter of pleasure. And pleasure is always from something a little extra. And this, again, can be somewhat abstract, but it's an archetype. So apply that any way you feel fit. That's eight. Now let's go to number nine. The Sacher. Sacher, the scholar. Scholarship provides wisdom, clarity, and direction. It is the foundation of any healthy society. The scholar personifies the dedication to immerse in education. Study and education. Okay. So, as opposed to the judge, since there is a certain similarity, the judge is actually not the scholar, not the teacher. The judge is sitting, that's his role, is to, to, to clarify, to discern, 
The scholar is actually what happens before a judge is a judge, he's a scholar. The scholar is someone that remains a scholar and provides wisdom, clarity, perspective, nuance, the thoroughness that comes with scholarship. And there are people that are scholars, you could say like the academic if you wish. Zvulun is number 10. Zvulun is number 10. The merchant. So he too, like I said about God and Don, Zvulun and Yisachar forge a, a partnership. The merchant, the business, the business person personality, the philanthropist. His role is to enter the marketplace and redeem the divine sparks within the material world. Because what's the ultimate purpose of business is to deal with the material world and not just to profit from it, but to redeem the divine sparks, which is the purpose of why you're in this particular business. The merchant supports the scholar, Yisachar. He funds houses of scholarship, which earns him a right to partake in the reward of the scholar's studies. So it's a partnership. The businessman. Number 11, which will break into 12 and 13, Menashe and Ephraim. We'll get to that in a moment. And then finally, the Benjamin, which is really 12. But think of the next two as a, a general category and then subsets. Joseph, the survivor. One who has suffered. Yet he not only survives, he thrives. And he means he or she, obviously. She achieves greatness through her challenges. He overcomes all adversary and becomes a great leader saving his entire generation as Joseph did despite his corrupt environment he maintains he maintains his spiritual integrity his inner light is very powerful the survivor within this there are two categories his two sons Menashe and Ephraim the blessing is that Joseph in a sense breaks into two tribes so we really have 13. Because Joseph is not Joseph and the two sons. It's really Joseph is the general category. And here comes, so I'll call it 11A and 11B if you wish. Menashe, first son of Joseph. The freedom fighter represents the ability to not succumb to the constraints that want to make you forget your spiritual roots. Menashe was a reminder. He remembered he remains connected regardless of the challenges and courageously fights to defend his values. So he has an element of the survivor of Joseph, but what element? The ability not to succumb, to remember, remain connected, and courageously fight for these values. Ephraim, the second son, 11b, is the transformer. More than just fighting and maintaining his presence, it is not enough to just survive in an alien environment, but to thrive. So Ephraim comes from Ephraim, meaning to thrive, to blossom. The transformer is the, power to, has, is the power to transform the difficulties into divine power. So it's not just standing your ground and protecting your turf, which is the freedom fighter, but it is the ability to transform your environment, to transform challenges, liabilities into assets. And finally, number 12. Benjamin, the hungry one. He is hungry for the divine sparks in all of existence. That's why Jacob compares him to a wolf. 
a wolf, which can be a negative term, but also a wolf is someone that is, um, rips into the food. So he says he's hungry, hungry for the divine sparks in all of existence. He recognizes that his mission is to passionately seek out the divine energy embedded in matter. Devour it, consume, and elevate it. So this is the individual who's hungry, who's very, uh, um, very, in a sense, passionate for the, because of his hunger, but instead of turning it into something negative, turns it into something power, positive by consuming everything that comes his way and turning it into fuel, divine fuel. Simply put, you're physically hungry, take the food, focus that the energy goes toward good deeds. Everything you do, is immerse, you immerse yourself in, in order to transform it into, to elevate, devour, and elevate the divine sparks. So there you have 12, I would say 12, with one of them breaking into two, 11A, 11B, personality types. Now mark them when you have a chance, when you have some time, or maybe you've already done so, and interesting to see which ones most stand out in your life. Now, bear in mind, as I mentioned earlier, it could be in stages in your life. Sometimes, certain times in our lives, we were in one state, and then we go into another state. So fine, state that as well, so you'll have a picture. Now comes the big question. How much of this is inherent personality, and how much of this have we been shaped into this by someone else? Now, mind, I would add, even if you've been shaped by someone else, if it's, going for the, if it's working in a positive way, it's a gift. Just as parents can mess us up, they can also help us. They can help direct, they can help focus, they can help bring out some latent strength that we may not be aware of. So it's not always the negative that I mentioned earlier. So that's a general statement. But then there are ways to distinguish between your natural gravitation and that which so-called has been imposed. So first of all, there are things, no matter how much have been imposed upon you, you continuously resist. You find this for people, for example, at work. They're asked to do a job, and they'll do it because there's no one else to do it, or they're, they're, the boss is very insistent, or whatever it may be. <clears throat> but after a while, it becomes apparent, you're not good at this. And you tell your boss, I'm not doing it good. Well, someone's going to have to redo it. That's usually a sign that as much as people have tried to impose and you're trying to please them, it's not your thing. That's one way to know. Where you continuously feel resistance or you feel inadequacy, not out of lack of confidence. It's just not your thing. Some people, for example, are very good with their hands. Some are not. Some people have beautiful voices. Some don't. Some are very analytic. Some are not. So there are many areas where you can see, and that usually is an indicator of something that's more who you are naturally. But there are things that we may not always know for sure. So there's a few other ways to know. A few other ways to know is when it's inconvenient, when it's really going difficult. What do, you, what do you gravitate to? Like, for example, I know people, unfortunately, who their parents, they were left-handed, and their parents insisted they become right-handed. But when left to their own recourse, when left on their own, I don't know if the word recourse is right even, um, they gravitate back to their left-handedness. So there are times that you may have been pressured or may have been imposed upon but you gravitate under pressure when you're left, left to your own and under circumstances where you can't really think quickly, you've got to 
act spontaneously, often that natural personality emerges. That's another way of knowing. And there are more ways. I'll mention one or two more. Another way is what resonates. Sometimes, and this I've seen quite often, you may have, as I said, assumed a new personality or assumed layers of a personality or layers of armor that this is the identity you have now embraced. Not necessarily you. But then you hear something someone say. You hear something and it resonates. It rings true. And it's not necessarily something you have till then really embraced or followed up on. Why is it resonating? Because it's part of who you are. I meet, met recently someone who wanted some guidelines, wanted a little training in writing. He said, I'm not a good writer. I don't have natural writing skills. I was always told that I can't write well. But still, I feel a need from time to time, so maybe you can give me some tips. Okay? So he said, I said, send me, send me some samples. He sent me some samples. I look at his samples. The guy is a potentially great writer. But I didn't want to say anything, so when he came, came to see me, I said, I looked at some of your samples. It's pretty nice, pretty good. He said, really? I said, yeah. I said, why do you think you're not a good writer or potentially a good writer? Obviously, skill is not enough. Experience is necessary. Training always helps. More than just helps. He says, that's what I was always told. By whom? Firstly, by his parents. They would laugh at him. This is called writing. And when I explored a little further, yes, his father was an aspiring writer and never made it. So he became this negative person. Anything he saw writing, especially if it was semi-good, he dismissed. Then in school, also he had a teacher in literature. They had a writing assignment, and he laughed at him as well. Why these people did such cruel things, consciously, unconsciously, I'm not going to analyze now. So he's convinced that he can't write well. Now still, he still needed training and needed experience. But he had what it took. So my role was to help him build the confidence. So I didn't say to him, I think you're a great writer. I said, I think you have here what to work with. Let's work on it. And lo and behold, he's an excellent writer. Even on a commercial level. And he's now making a living from that. And I always reckon that the guy did not think. He personally did not think he could write. He was just doing it. But why was he gravitating to it? Why was he pushing it? Because there was something in him. And then when we began working on it, it resonated. And you could see, I saw his eyes light up. So resonance is a very indicator because the resonance of who you really are never goes away. It may have gone undercover, as I mentioned, but it never disappears. So when something happens, someone says something or someone sparks something, something touches the cord, and that dormant part of you wakes up. Obviously, it needs to be fanned, it needs to be nurtured, it needs to be cultivated, but it's there. So that's yet another way of knowing. So when you look, sometimes you think about personality, you say, that's for sure not me. And knee-jerk reaction, that could be very true. It doesn't resonate with you. It could be not you also because it's undercover. So you have to always keep that in mind. But resonance is a very big one. And I, always, I trust that a lot. It doesn't always mean guaranteed, but it gives us, it's at least an indicator. In the words of the Talmud, when a student asked his teacher, where should I begin studying? He answered brilliantly, where your heart desires. Now that can mean both location, where to go study, what city, what town, or also what book to read, what area 
of scholarship and literature I should pursue. Well, your heart desires. Why? Obviously, we all need teachers and guides and guidance and training and so on. But your heart desire means it's who you are. And when it's who you are, number one, it's fulfilling your calling. Number two, you'll gravitate it. You'll fight for it because you own it. It's you. Now, that doesn't mean there's no room for doing things that is not exactly comfortable for us or sometimes something our personality is not fitting. But obviously, it has to be something that we're capable to try to be fit, fit a square peg into a circle hole is ridiculous and cruel. But there are times we're asked to do something. It may not be something we're good at, but we do it out of obligation, out of, out of love, or whatever it may be. But when we talk about real success, real excellence, how much more can we achieve when it's something with your heart desires? Which means your heart gravitates to it. And it may be something that for years you never did, or you were told not to do, or you were actually punished if you did it. And then you become like, like a fish in water because of the resonance. So my friends, so we have these personality types. Um, it's not black and white, as I said. Begin by identifying and recognize as well all the time that you may be somebody who you think you're not. Or you may be somebody not who you really is. <laughs> somebody who you think you're not, or you're not the person who you think you are. Or some hybrid combination. So these personality archetypes are meant to help us identify and begin the journey, or mid-journey, of looking where our calling may be, where our uniqueness is. And it can really change your life, because once you identify a personality type that works with you, resonates with you, you start focusing. I'm not suggesting dropping everything you're doing. Even if your job is not reflecting who you are, there's always ways to bring in your personality into it. And then, yes, you may come to a day and we'll have an epiphany that what you're doing, your work, is not really what you want to do. But I don't do this in a disruptive way. We're not here to disrupt your life. We're here to transition. Even if a metamorphosis is needed, it has to be done wisely. Because it's very unhealthy to just leap jump, leapfrog, jump, cold turkey from one state to another. It's very important to integrate, to do it gradually. So the goal here is clarity. Clarity of what you're not and clarity of what you are. Not always going to be that easy. That's why I always recommend having an objective friend, someone you can trust, someone that you respect, someone you are com comfortable receiving critique from because they don't mean you're good. They're not, mean, not, they're not trying to be mean. They're not trying to hurt you. That type of person can be very good to run by these ideas. Because it's interesting what you'd find out once you ask somebody, you know, like once you, second exercise, after you make your numbers from one to 10, as I mentioned, of these personality types, speak to someone you love or loves you, or both, someone you trust and say, don't tell them necessarily what your list is. Say, what, would you, what do you think? Let them make it and compare notes. Compare what you did your own self-awareness and how someone else would describe you. be very interesting to see the contrast. Maybe very similar, maybe very different. But these are all tools and instruments, which is really the focus of my life, my life, literally, and the work I do, which is a labor of love, I should say, and is my calling. And the work of the Meaningful Life Center is to help you find a meaningful life, as the name means, as the name implies. And that begins with finding who you are, your calling, 
defining and identifying the uniqueness, perhaps discarding if necessary, or at least partially discarding things that are not who you are, that you just assumed and just became part of you and it's just extra weight, not necessary, but done in a gradual and a healthy way. That's what we're here for. And I hope this program, discussing these 12 archetypes, are really helpful. As I said, stay tuned. If you subscribe, you'll get it tomorrow in the email. It's a free subscription, soul workout, what we call the soul gym. Just like a body needs exercise, so does the soul. And when you, read the, when you review these personality types in the different forms that were presented them this week, as I said, a soul vitamin on Monday in a vid- form of a short video, a longer class and discussion master class that we've done now, and a um, soul workout, which comes on Thursday in the form of short bulleted points and exercise. That is the way we exercise and we condition and we work out our spiritual muscles, our spiritual nerves, our spiritual, emotional, psychological, and cognitive instruments. They too need cleaning, refining, improvement, conditioning. And we plan to develop many more such programs. We'd love to have your input, suggestions, things that you feel are working, things that you feel are not that well, working that well. And we welcome that all. We welcome any type of input, any type of support, including, of course, financial support, which is always necessary to make the wheels go round, especially at the end of the year, to consider making a generous contribution to the Meaningful Life Center, fully tax-deductible, by going to MeaningfulLife.com slash MeaningfulLife.com slash donate. You can also sponsor a program or any one of our programs in honor or memory of a loved one. And this is what we're dedicating to doing. There's going to be a lot of new offerings coming this new season as we go into the new year. So stay tuned and please be in touch. Share, like, comment. Let this be an interactive journey and uh, in a way that also has the ripple effect. So thank you very much, everyone. And uh, be blessed until next Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. This, this program is, of course, also archived, so you can watch it at any given time and share it as well. Everyone have a blessed week, a week where you can actualize and let your unique personality shine, illuminate, and warm your environment.